The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star at its rising and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was greatly troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it has been written through the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no, by no means least among the rulers of Judah, since from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and ascertained from them the time of the star's appearance. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may go and do him homage. After their audience with the king, they set out. And behold, the star that they had seen at its rising preceded them, until it came and stopped over the place where the child was. They were overjoyed at seeing the star, and on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They prostrated themselves and did him homage. Then they opened their treasures and offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their country by another way. The Gospel of the Lord. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of note that is happening in this, uh, in this gospel passage, um, and, uh, and yet there are themes that, uh, that dominate uh, the text from, from beginning to end, and I think that's uh, significant for us, especially as we consider, say, the whole of the gospel, so the whole of the good news, the whole of the proclamation of Christ's kingship. And here, this is, this is what we get, right? What, 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 do, we, what do we see lying in the manger, but a newborn king of the Jews? What do we see as the object of veneration, of adoration of the Magi, but a newborn king of the Jews? And this, is, this is significant, I think, and uh, perhaps, you know, before we, before we get into the, the, the heart of the matter, to say something about uh, the fact that uh, Magi are, I mean, they could have been uh, not almost anything in the ancient world. They could have been magicians. They could have been astrologers, astronomers. Um, they were known to be wise men. They, they're guys who studied the sky, right? They're stargazers and saw the significance in, in the sky of a story that God wanted to, to tell. They saw in the, in the sky something of significance that led them on their journey that led them on their pilgrimage. What might that have been, right? Because some of us are perhaps more curious than others, you know, thinking about what, what this star is, what these stars were. Because of course, we, we track the stars ourselves. You know, we're something of uh, um, a culture of stargazers. And we know that uh, the best, the, I think anyway, the best that we can do is to see in 7 BC, and that's an, that's an important date, by the way, but in, in 7 BC, appearing in the sky, uh, three times together, Jupiter and Saturn. Yeah? Isn't that amazing? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Come on. Yeah, get psyched about it, okay? Get psyched about it. Jupiter and Saturn appearing in the sky three times in the year 7 BC. Jupiter is the star that symbolizes kingship. And Saturn is uh, kind of sporadically, I don't say sporadically, no, but it, 
is known but not like uniformly as the star of the Jewish people. So if you have those two stars appearing three times in one calendar year, you have something, something big is going to happen. And that something big is what they go in search of, which is a newborn king of the Jews. I don't know if I, I want to bracket, I want to bracket it again, 7 BC. Why do, I, why do I want to bracket that, 7 BC? Jesus is born likely in, like in 4 BC. I, this is ridiculous, I know, but <laughs> you just got to go along with it. This is, Jesus is born like 4 BC, which doesn't, I'm not blowing up anything here except for the fact that, you know, we got the calendar wrong. We were off by four years. Okay, fine. So we're off by four years, but Jesus is born around 4 BC. Well, how, how, do we, how do we get to that? We get to that because we know that's when Herod died. Yeah, so the, we're looking at the, the, last, the last little moments in the, year, in the, in the reign of, of King Herod, the birth of Jesus on the scene of 4 BC. But you've had, you've had people anticipating the birth of Jesus. You've had these wise men from the East stargazing, anticipating the birth of Jesus for at least three years before they, before they come on the scene. That's something. We don't know how long it took them to go from Herod to Bethlehem. It's a, it's a much bigger journey than we, than we otherwise consider. Why? Because it took us two weeks <laughs> to, get, to get from one to the other. And if you'd showed up a few days ago, you would have seen that the shepherds were still in the manger, you know, and the, the wise men were still out here somewhere. We just pulled the switch like that, you know. So it, we, it, it betrays, a, you know, a little bit of a kind of ahistorical understanding on our part. But it's important to see how, how uh, that was, in fact, a journey of real significance. Can I say, let me say, Joseph uh, loves the, he loves the nativity scene. He, I'm, ser- I'm serious, he loves it, he loves, he loves the animals. He's, he's come in search, I think, of the donkey. <laughs> I'm okay to let him, you know, whatever. This is, we, should, we should interact like children with the nativity scene. You know, we should, in, we should interact like children. I think, was it Mary giving a full-hearted scream before? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, but she, is, she has no problem about expressing herself to, to God. You know, she's coming to the house of God, and she's going to make her heart known. But what about us? We have a hard time singing over, like, I don't even know what the, what the decibel scale is, but we have a hard time, like, singing over one decibel. Is that all the praise that we can, we can give to God? Is that the heart of praise that we're going to show up with? No, we want, to give our whole, we want to give our whole heart in praise of God, especially on this feast where those, the, the, we commemorate the Magi taking that long journey of years, right? Even if it's just in the planning stage for however long. I don't know how long it took them to, take, to make that journey. But it took, them year, it took years for that journey to come together, right? Years of preparation. And, of course, before that, God's story is, of course, years and generations in, in preparation, right? So uh, what, what about us? Are we, making the, are we making the right preparations? Are we considering the fact that, you know, we've got to go, we want to go step by step to the Lord, also bringing, bringing our hearts and, and honoring Him with the, praise, with the praise of our lives. Anyway, yes, you're right. I am somewhat sidetracked. Okay, so <laughs> let's get back on course. What do we see in the passage? The main theme is kingship. The main theme is kingship. And it's a theme that runs right through the Gospel of Matthew, all the way out the other side. So here we see there, there are some great parallels between what's happening here in this scene and what happens in the 27th chapter of, of Matthew's gospel. What's the 27th chapter of Matthew's gospel? Is Jesus' crucifixion. That's the next time that we are going to see non-Jewish people 
claim Jesus as king. But think about how it happens. Right? This is Jesus being crucified. And the, um, the centurions are around to say, Hail, King of the Jews, mocking him. Right? So here at the beginning, we have this great, glorious story, the birth of a newborn king. And again, it's a theme that runs all the way through Matthew's gospel. It's important, of course, because the proclamation of the gospel is that there's a new king in town. And that's Jesus. And he's not simply king of the Jews, yeah, we see that in the passage, but as precisely as the king of the Jews, he's the Lord of all nations, which is why the nations come streaming towards him in the people of the Magi. Again, we next, we next see the nations, we next see the Gentile witness to Christ in Matthew's gospel in the crucifixion scene. There, instead of gold to crown the king, they give him a crown of, of thorns. And he's not enthroned on, on the lap of his mother. He, he has taken the throne of the cross. So his kingship is a, is a different kind of kingship, but the, but the themes have to be held together. If this is the revelation, right, the epiphany of God's glory, his, the revelation of God's great plan to rescue all peoples, this points forward to the cross because it's the victory of self-giving love that will raise up God's fallen world. And that's, that is the journey, again, uh, that we are making together. There are many more, there are many more uh, parallels as well, right? There, in, in the crucifixion scene, Jesus comes face to face with Pilate, right? The, the, uh, the representative of the king of the known world. Yeah, he, and he, here, of course, he's the king. There, uh, Pilate's wife sends message to him that he should not touch him. He should not touch Jesus. And here, again, in the, in the dream, they are warned to go back another way. Here, you have, a, you have the star uh, brightly lighting the way for the discovery of Jesus. There, as Jesus is, is killed, in the middle of the day, darkness covers the whole earth. But from that darkness comes the voice of the crowd. Truly, this was God's son. Truly, this was God's son. This was God's king. This is God's anointed king. This, is, this was the one to lead, to be at the head of the movement to renew God's people and restore his creation. So this is what we, this is what we have um, in the gospel passage in front of us. I think that there, are many other, there are many other things, I think, for us uh, to consider in the passage. I'm going to, believe it or not, I'm going to leave most of them to you. Right? But I want to say this. The, we, we do take the Magi as our, as our model today, as, as the rhythm, the pattern of our own life of worship today. So I think it's important to, to, give, to give that a look. Right? They come out in search of Jesus. It's a great question for us. Are we still searching for Jesus? Do we want to find and honor and devote ourselves to not only the King of the Jews, the Lord of all nations, but who we have come to know as the rightful ruler of every human heart. Is, is Jesus my king? Or am I happy with the, all the imposter kings that, that rise up around me, including myself? Right By putting Jesus and, and Herod and the Magi all in this scene, we have, a, we have this great declaration of true kingship, and, and imposter kingship. Are we satisfied with the imposter kings of our day, or are we not? 
And I think the, the answer has to be that we're, that we're not. Why would we be here? Why would we be here if we were? We know that we, know that we need something other than what the world has to offer. And it's only made available to us in and as Christ Jesus. So do we, are we searching for him? Are we going for him? Right? We're, I don't know if we're experiencing some, some lack in our lives. I mean, the thing is that even if we're not experiencing some lack in our lives, if we don't have God at the very center, then we won't be able to sustain any kind of enthusiasm or celebration of life for very long. Right? What, what day of Christmas is this? Do you guys know? You should know, yeah? It's like 14 or something at this point, right? We're, what, are we, what are we in? Right? We're, we're in this short period of time that the church has set aside for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus. How many of us have been celebrating this every day? <laughs> what does it mean to celebrate it every day? Right? We, sh- we should be, but the thing is that we, d- we often find, a- find that we don't have the heart to do it. We don't have the heart to, s- to sustain a celebration. You know, if you come over to my house, I'll-, I'll entertain you for a couple hours. Then I'm going to go to bed. <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't do it for that long. But God, but God sustains us with a heart for the true, cele- true celebration, the celebration of what he is doing in and as Christ Jesus, what he has called us to, and what he wants to do again in us and through us. Right? Nothing short of renewing our whole life and restoring all of his good creation. It was Pope Benedict XVI, in one of his many reflections, offered, the foundation of the world is love. The foundation of the world is love. Does it look like that? The foundation of the world is love, right? So for, for many of my scientific minds out there, what do we think? We think, well, you know what? The foundation of the world actually is carbon, okay? No, boo. Boo on you, okay? This is not, it's not true. It's not true. The most basic building block of life is not carbon. It's love. It's love. Look, you look, look fine. Look at me like I'm a kook. I don't care. I'm a kook for Jesus. And the longer you look at me like I'm a kook, the longer I'm going to preach just to prove that I am one, right? No, the, the, most, the basic building block of life is love. Nothing exists outside of love. Nothing at all exists outside of love. Just because the, just because the world is off the tracks, it doesn't, it doesn't make that any less true. We are the people who have been called by Christ to encounter him to come to know in the depths of our being that, yes, the foundation of the world is love. And we, with the power that he breathes into us, right, with the power that he feeds us with, feeding us with his own body and blood, his own life of love made flesh for us, we are the ones who are to put the world back on that foundation, the foundation of love. That's a tremendous work. Because it means, one, that we have to recognize that we've been loved into existence. And two, it means that we should be making our journey to the manger. Really, we have to be making our journey to Jesus with everything we've got, putting ourselves totally at his disposal, giving ourselves away totally in the cause of love. 
That's what he's called the Christian people to. Do you think that do you think it was about something else? It's not. We're called to give our lives away in service of God as he seeks to refound the world in love. And it takes a people to do that. And that's our task. You know, thankfully, it's thank, two things to say thankfully. Thankfully, it's the work of a lifetime. Just as the journey of the Magi is a journey of many years, so too our journey to Jesus and our embrace of his call on our lives is the journey of a lifetime. Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't know. Like, they're, they're bringing gold and frankincense and myrrh, right? Because they're gifts befitting a king. And they happen to be rich. It's just the way it is, right? You got, unless, well, if you don't think it's rich to have, you know, gold bars lying around, then we'll talk after, okay? <laughs> I look forward to that conversation. <laughs> they're, bringing, they're bringing these gifts, and they're rich enough to do it. But guess what? Gold and frankincense and myrrh, who cares? God doesn't care. He owns everything. Every piece of gold in the world is God's. He doesn't need you to give it to him. What he wants you to give him is the offering of your heart. So any, any gift we bring to God, right, in, in prayer and praise, without the gift of our heart is worthless. It's absolutely worthless. But even the small things that we give, our time, little though we have, little though we have to dedicate, right? Our time, maybe our talent. Uh, we might think we've got a lot of it, but uh, yeah. Talent, our treasure, what little we have, right? We, we offer to God with our whole heart. Let me, well, let me say this, right? How do you, uh, how do you appraise your own uh, singing voice? How do you appraise your own singing voice? Three, five, four, five, six, eight, ten. Yeah. Where is, where is it? I didn't hear it this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry to pick on you, but and I'm not doing I'm not doing any condemnation. I'm just saying, like, we're. I I don't care what what you sound like. I think you should sound like something. God gave you a voice, and He gave you that voice to so that you could praise Him, and so that you could serve Him. And of course, you want to use it to. As, as an expression of uh, and participation in God's beauty as well. So I understand, like, if you think you have the ugliest voice in the world, you might not want to sing, sing out loud. I'm telling you, I don't really care. I think we ought to be offering our whole self to God in worship. And I think singing is an important way that we do that. I don't want to get stuck on singing, though, right? Because the point is, we're making our journey to God. We're going piece by piece. I don't know, whatever your, whatever your level of comfort is in participating in the Mass like expressing your participation in the Mass out loud, okay, but participate in the Mass. Give your whole heart over to God in the praise of His Son. Look, this is the point, is that we, we have very little to give in the end except our heart. Here at the altar, we, we see represented for us Jesus' perfect offering to the Father. And it's represented so that He could catch up in that our less than perfect praise. We have the vehicle of praise here. Jesus offering himself to the Father. And we're caught up in that offering so that we can offer ourselves to the Father as well. And just as Jesus gives himself over to the Father in perfect praises and he pours himself out in his service, so too we are making that journey today through him and with him and in him. 
And of course, we're not making that journey. The great thing is here, you see in the passage, the Magi go, quote unquote, at their initiative. That's what it looks like, right? But it's God who's taking the initiative. And he's taking the initiative with us as we make our journey. It's not because of our own wherewithal, wisdom, strength, courage, and the rest that we're making our journey. We're making our journey at the call of Christ Jesus. He has sought fit to call you into his company. And now he's going to equip you for the task. And just as he is the revelation of God's light, and he is the light of the world, so too he's making your life to shine brightly in the darkness. And how the world needs it. How the world needs the light of God's revelation. The and look, the light of God's revelation, pointing forward to the cross, the, life, the light and, and life of self-giving love. How the world yearns to be loved, yearns to be loved, so much so that people go looking for it everywhere, everywhere, except for the one place that they'll find it, in Christ. But he's found us, and we're making our journey with him. We get to call other people to share in the light of that same love. Again, not only with, with our lips, uh, but with our lives. And so, my friends, it's ours to, uh, to set off today, to come to encounter Jesus, to bow down, to prostrate ourselves here humbly before him, to turn over to him the offering of, of our hearts and lives as best as we can make that offering, and to, to receive from him something that we could never give to ourselves his own life of love, his own life of blessing, his life made flesh for us there in the manger, but now here on the altar so that we could consume him and be consumed by him as we set out to let his light shine in the world around us.